Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl. This show is now a podcast. You can find it on any platform of your choosing, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, you name it. Please subscribe and share the word. On today's show, I'm talking all about the NFL draft, how conventional wisdom is always changing when it comes to drafting quarterbacks and running backs, how opinions are never set in stone when it comes to evaluating prospects in the moment and as their careers go on, and the easiest way to create hope as an NFL franchise in 2021. Let's go. Yesterday was a good day for me. Uh, I'm trying to break through a slump in the game of golf, so I go out during the day, you know, I finally put together a good round, and I'm feeling good about life. Last night, as all of you know, the first round of the NFL draft is about ready to take place, so I'm excited. I come off the course, it's a little after six, I go, I'm going to settle down, I'm going to listen to Roger Goodell, do weird Roger Goodell things, and hopefully the Packers are not going to trade Aaron Rodgers before the night is through. So I get back into the office, you know, 6.15 or so, a little bit after the draft is supposed to start. And I go, the Jaguars probably have drafted Trevor Lawrence by now. Oh, no, the NFL, as is always the case, which I forget every year. And it also is strange because I watch the NFL draft every year. The NFL takes about 30 minutes to get into the draft. And they send Roger Goodell up there, who's kind of 20% man, 80% robot. He goes up there and he tries to crack a few jokes and no one really laughs. Last night it was in Cleveland. They're all sitting there, the dog pound people going, I don't really know what's going on here. Then he goes, oh, I just want to talk about these sweet charitable endeavors the NFL is involved in. And everybody rolls their eyes and he goes on for 10 minutes. And that's what I missed. So I come in and Roger Goodell's introducing some commissioner's chair bit, which was based upon last year when it was a COVID draft and Roger Goodell Post the draft from his basement. He had some leather recliner of his that he would go and sit in. And, and for some reason this year, he thought it would be funny to bring this to the NFL draft, put it on stage, and have a fan of each individual team come out and sit in the chair. It was the furthest thing from funny I've ever seen in my life. It was actually incredibly uncomfortable for me as a viewer because the first pick, Jacksonville Jaguars, they're on the clock. They bring a Jacksonville Jaguars fan out of the crowd they have him sit in a leather recliner on stage for 10 minutes. That's how long it takes to make the pick. And they just sit there. Nobody's laughing. Nobody's having a good time. The fan looked so uncomfortable. Me at home, I'm even more uncomfortable. <laughs> and this is how the NFL draft played out over the course of the night. Choose one select fan. Come sit in Roger Goodell's chair. Roger Goodell does his weird robot routine. Burr, burr, nice robotic handshake. All that kind of stuff, okay? That's not the interesting part of what was going on last night. And neither were the Aaron Rodgers trade rumors, which affected me emotionally. And I will probably go into a lot deeper at some point in a later show. For today, it's all about last night's round one, okay? So I'm gonna start with conventional wisdom and how it's always changing, something that I continually talk about on this show. I'm gonna read you a quote from Bill Barnwell from ESPN. As recently as the 1991-2000 window, teams drafted more running backs, 13, in the top 10 than quarterbacks, 12. Over the past 10 years, though, teams have drafted 22 quarterbacks in the top 10 against just six running backs, end quote. 
Conventional wisdom is always changing is one of the most interesting subjects that you can possibly examine in life. This is my own personal opinion, and it's just the way that my brain works. I like picking apart things and going, why is this? Why do we always believe this? Is this rooted in reality? Is this always going to exist for all of time? Or is this a belief that, that is tied into a specific point in time? So that's a very, very, very revealing stat to me. I mean, 1991 to 2000, not that long ago in the grand scheme of time. We have 13 teams drafting running backs in the top 10 compared to 12 quarterbacks, more running backs drafted in the top 10. An incredible stat in context of today's NFL. All about passing. Passing numbers have never been higher. People are embracing the idea that the passing game is so much more efficient than the running game, which it is. You know, your average NFL team, they average seven and a half yards of passing attempt, and your average NFL team averages four, four and a half yards of rushing attempt. Like, strictly within those numbers, you can understand. It seems logical to assume that a team should pass more than they should run. And NFL teams are embracing that. That's why we see passing records fall every year. That's why we see the rise of this quarterback position. That's really important. This running back position, maybe not so much, okay? We see last night, five quarterbacks drafted in the top 15, you know? Trevor Lawrence at one, Zach Wilson at two to the Jets, Trey Lance to the Niners at three, Justin Fields to the Bears at 11, Matt Jones to the Patriots at 15. We see two running backs drafted in the first round as well, which is, in my opinion, two more than should be drafted in the first round and more than were drafted last year. The last pick of the first round last year was Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He was the first running back taken. He went to the Chiefs. This year, Najee Harris from Alabama. He goes to the Steelers at 24. Travis Etienne from Clemson goes to the Jaguars at 25. Okay. So we see this stat playing out in present day. Teams value quarterbacks infinitely more so than running backs and deservedly so. It's a passing league. Quarterback is the position that can have the most effect on a football game. Now, still, keep in mind that that, that amount that they can affect a game is very limited in the grand scheme of a football game. But still, it's the position that carries the most value. I want to dive a little bit into the past to think about this particular stat and this particular ideology and how much it's changed over time. Because... In 1999, which again, not that long ago in the grand scheme of time, the New Orleans Saints trade up from 12 to 5 to draft Ricky Williams, Heisman Trophy winning tailback out of the University of Texas. Okay, seven spots they're jumping up. Their coach at the time, Mike Ditka, big burly man ball, loves to hand it off to a tailback 50 times a game and grind you into dust. Okay, and that was a pretty common way of thinking and coaching and playing football in 1999. So they trade up seven spots and draft Ricky Williams. To do that, the Saints trade away the 12th pick that year, their first rounder, their third rounder, their fourth rounder, their fifth rounder, their sixth rounder, their seventh rounder, an additional first the following year, which ended up being second overall, and an additional third the following year. Okay, So that is... Uh, it's. Such an immense draft haul, it's almost hard to comprehend that within less than 25 years in the league that we currently follow, a team was willing to trade that much draft capital to select a tailback, a position that in present day, pretty much everybody who watches the NFL agrees they are almost entirely dependent upon their situation, how good their offensive line is, and anything beyond that you're picking hairs as to how good a tailback is. They're 
90% of their production is tied into what their offense is and what their offensive line is. And yet in 1999, we have a team and a coach who thought it was not only logical, but in the best interests of their franchise to trade their entire draft in one year and an additional first rounder, which was second overall in the draft and a third rounder for a tailback. Like, just doing the research for today's episode, my head was kind of hurting because I remember the Ricky Williams draft, and I remember thinking it was somewhat bizarre at the time, but I also, uh, being a Big 12 football fan, tied in with Nebraska and having Ricky Williams play against Nebraska for his entire career and having really good games against them, including he comes into Memorial Stadium in 1998, he rushes for a ton of yards, they end one of Nebraska's long home winning streaks. And I was like, man, this guy's freaking good. I can't imagine what he'd do in the NFL. And it didn't seem as weird at the time as in retrospect, I look at and go, this is, this might be the craziest trade in the history of the NFL. I don't even think that's hyperbole. Another thing, like you want to talk about conventional wisdom and how it's changing and just what in the moment may not seem as weird as it does down the road and vice versa. This is a little a little offshoot from football, but I think it ties into this idea of, of how perception and opinion and conventional wisdom, it's always shifting. They trade for Ricky Williams and Mike Dicka, again, the big burly man ball coach, the most football man you could ever imagine in the history of football men. He shows up to Ricky Williams' press conference and he, for reasons unknown, I think it's to show Ricky Williams how much the franchise valued him and, and was ready to build around him. Actually, something that I wish that the Green Bay Packers would do in present day with Aaron Rodgers. You know, Mike Dicka shows up and, and he's wearing dreadlocks. He puts on these fake dreadlocks, which Ricky Williams has at the time. And they have this bizarre press conference where Ricky Williams is happy, you know, and he's holding up the jersey. And Mike Dicka's just standing there and he's got, he literally has his arms folded. The big grumpy grandpa, and he's there by Ricky Williams' side, ready to build their entire franchise around a running back. Okay, it, it seems almost impossible to comprehend that this happened in 1999. A little bit later, ESPN, the magazine, they come to the Saints and they go, this is a huge story. You traded your whole draft and additional capital for this tailback. Everybody thinks Ricky Williams is really good. We want to do a photo shoot. Uh, and we want to put it on the cover of the of our magazine. Okay. And for reasons unknown, again, they scheme up an idea where Ricky Williams is dressed as a bride in a wedding's dress, in a wedding dress, and Mike Ditka is dressed as a groom in, in the whole groom getup, you know, the tuxedo and everything. So they take this famous photo shoot, which I remember I had an ESPN magazine subscription at the time, and I get it. <laughs> and I thought the picture was, I was like, ah, that's kind of weird. But I didn't fully comprehend how weird it was until, again, in present day, I'm going, oh, my gosh. Now that I'm thinking about this Ricky Williams thing, I remember the ESPN magazine photo shoot where a bunch of people at a magazine came to Ricky Williams and Mike Ditka and said, you know what would be sweet? If one of you dress up like a bride and one of you dresses up like a groom, and we take a photo shoot where we talk about the fact that you traded your entire draft and more for this tailback, and we project this story through the prism of a bride and a groom, right? 
Think about that in your own life. If you're Ricky Williams, you are starting a new job and one that the, the, the business itself is going, Hey, we're, we want to make you as happy as we can. We think you're our most valuable, uh, employee. We want to do everything in our power to make you happy. All this kind of stuff as part of the way that we want to get the word out is you're Chris, you're going to go dress up in a bride's dress and then we're going to get our CEO and he's going to dress up like a groom. And you guys are going to take a lot of romantic pictures where you got the arm around him and I'm staring lovingly at the ring and you're pulling back the veil and I'm gazing into your eyes and everybody agreed to do this and didn't think it's the craziest thing you could possibly be doing besides trading away your entire draft and all additional capital for a running back. So this is always changing. And I try, I try to go out of my way to think about things that we just take for granted in present day and say, well, yeah, this makes sense in the context of the NFL in 2021. And because of that, this will always make sense. I try to deduce, is this something that is here to stay? Is this something that moving forward, the NFL has identified and it will never go back to being what it was before? Or is this something that is tied into this specific era? You know, how much of this importance upon passing and all, all the stuff we know about the efficiency of a pass game, how much of that is tied into this era? And we're going to have the, the cycle where it goes back and we go, now we value running more or something along those lines. I'm always trying to deduce what those things are. Uh, one of the opinions in present day that's super prevalent that to me seems like it's here to stay is what I talked about a little bit earlier about the positional value of running backs, which I believe is pretty much non-existent. I think a lot of smart people within the NFL world agree with that mindset. Uh, we have countless examples of a situation being everything to a running back and the running back's talent itself being nothing. Uh, Dave Gettleman and the Giants drafting Saquon Barkley at number two comes to mind which has really not panned out in a way that would befit a number two draft pick. Uh, Zeke Elliott's Cowboys career is a really good example. They draft him, I believe, number four overall in that draft class. They pick him over someone like a Jalen Ramsey, who has transformed uh, defenses that he's been on and is probably the best cornerback in football. Zeke Elliott, who has been a very good tailback in his career, but is also completely intertwined with the fact that the first part of his career – Dallas had one of, if not the best offensive lines in the league. And Zeke Elliott was, he was eaten, you know, as Zeke Elliott does. And as that offensive line has kind of gone away and dissipated, and now the Cowboys don't really have that, Zeke has done this. Some of you could argue that it's, you know, maybe a little bit of, of aging and running backs and their shelf life is not as long as other positions. And someone like me could argue, you can't really spend a pick that's, within the first round period, but really within the top five or the top 10 to a position that is so dependent upon having open holes and having space created for them, you know? And how much value can you possibly find from drafting a tailback like the Steelers did with Najee Harris at 24 or the Jags did with Travis Etienne at 25? How much value can you actually extract from a very valuable draft slot? It, it can't possibly align with a running back. The greatest indicator of this idea is the fact that 
if you follow gambling markets closely and if you follow point spreads and how they move, especially as injuries are, are announced throughout the course of the week or really on game day when you get inactive lists and people who are probable or maybe not for a game, you have a really hard deadline for gambling purposes where the NFL and their teams have to announce this is who's on the active roster, this is who we expect to play, and these are who are inactive, okay? And if you follow these markets, which are, again, in my opinion, the greatest indicator of value and who is valuable to a team, when running backs are in or out, you won't see those lines move. They remain stationary. We see that with Christian McCaffrey last year, who was a very good tailback. And I, I will not argue these people are not talented, but the talent can't show through in a way that it can other positions. Christian McCaffrey will get injured and Mike Davis comes in, the old roly-poly bowling ball, and the point spread doesn't change. And he he replaces 80 or 90% of Christian McCaffrey's production, you know, which is that amount of production, 90% of that production is strictly based upon what is there in front of you? What did the line open for you? What did the, the offense scheme for you? Okay, you got 90% of Christian McCaffrey's yards, and yet we're paying you pennies on the dollar and we didn't have to spend any draft capital on you. At that point, you would always take that style of player. We have a trillion examples within the last five years of tailbacks being drafted or undrafted that come in and are immediately good strictly because that's that's just how the position is built. James Robinson on the Jaguars last year is a great example. Undrafted rookie, nobody expects anything from him. He comes into the Jaguars and has a great season, you know. By fantasy standards, he was one of the five best tailbacks in the league. And he produced. And this is a dude who was undrafted, who literally nobody drafted last year in the draft, and he came in as an undrafted rookie and put up this level of production. And now the Jaguars, who just have someone like that on their roster, went and spent a first-round pick on Travis Etienne, who is very talented, but how much more production could you possibly get from that position? That's something I can't really understand. It's the same idea behind the Pittsburgh Steelers struggling immensely on offense over the, the last half of last year, the vast majority of that being tied into how poorly their offensive line played and how little room there was for anybody to run on offense. And they believe that drafting Najee Harris and putting him behind that same offensive line that could have opened holes for James Conner, that Najee Harris is going to come in and solve that. I just can't comprehend that style of logic and indeed the more that I think about it and the more examples I go down I think the more aware I am and everyone is of just you can't really draft running backs this high in the way that in 1991 and 2000 we did there were more running backs drafted in the top 10 than quarterbacks in that decade and now we're flipping to the complete other side it's all about the quarterback okay and I don't necessarily agree with that, as I'm going to get into in a second. But I do completely agree with this shift in positional value and the running back position. Because the examples are endless. And, and I think that is something that is here to stay. So another thing I want to talk about that is very interesting about the sports world in general. Opinions are not set in stone. I'm going to read to you another Bill Barnwell quote. This one is about the 2018 draft class and quarterbacks specifically within that class. 
Josh Allen, who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn at times at Wyoming, even after you adjusted for his average depth of target, was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league for stretches last season. Rosen was supposed to be the most pro-ready quarterback and looked overmatched from his first start. Darnold has barely budged from the guy he was in college, mostly for worse. Mayfield has been three totally different quarterbacks in three different seasons. We're still not done figuring out the class of 2018, let alone the class of 2021. End quote. This is one of the things that I love about sports, truly. It's that people are willing to change their opinions, especially when information comes to our disposal. It's something that really turns me off about the world of politics and other things that, that are offshoots of that. You find your party and you just blindly argue and believe along party lines, whatever the big topic of the day is. And I'll see uh, a big time Republican argue with a big time Democrat. And it's just this there. There's, it's just the butting of heads and nobody wants to engage on a level that goes contrary to what they themselves believe. And sports for a lot of people, myself included, are different from that, which again is really cool. We're willing to form these opinions and, you know, usually they're based upon factual things or what we've seen with our own eyes. And as we watch a player move through a season and multiple seasons or a team, we go, you know what? I was wrong about this and here's why. Or, oh man, I was really right about this and here's why. And then five years down the road, you go, you know what? This player who I thought was good is actually bad or vice versa. There's just so much room for an opinion to grow and, and to be informed and for people to engage with just the simple human fact that, you know what? I might be completely wrong about something that I really firmly believed a month ago or a year ago or years ago. That's really cool and something that I think is very productive when it comes to having informative conversation and for talking about things that you're passionate about, okay? So I'm gonna come back to this quote and that idea of opinions not being set in stone in, in the sports world. Those five quarterbacks from the 2018 class as Barnwell's talking about, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson. The very interesting examination, even in present day, but it was at the time as well, much like we're going through with the 2021 NFL quarterback draft class. Baker Mayfield's the number one pick that year, and he goes through this three-year ebb and flow where he's the savior. His rookie season, he comes in a couple games in, and we go, this guy's off the charts. He's going to be awesome. The next year, he does a plummet, and our opinions shift dramatically. We go, this guy's a bust. He's atrocious. He's going to be terrible. And then Cleveland, which has structured a really very good roster around Baker, last year they're on the upswing. And they go, Baker, these are what we this these are the things we want from you. You don't have to play beyond your means. We've put a system in place. We want you to do these things that you're good at and, and be an efficient quarterback. And we think we can be successful this way. And the Browns make the playoffs and they have a very successful season. And with Baker Mayfield, we've gone from here to here to here to here in a three-year span. We've done that with almost all of these quarterbacks. As, as Barnwell's pointing out, Josh Allen is probably the craziest example of this. Josh Allen, when he was a rookie, everybody made fun of that draft pick. He was coming out of Wyoming. As Barnwell mentions, he couldn't hit the broadside of the barn at times at Wyoming. And everybody goes, this guy's inaccurate. inaccurate. You cannot teach that. 
this is going to be a disaster. He's going to the Bills. Oh, they're the laughing stock of a franchise. Blah, 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 blah. And everybody piled onto that pick. And his rookie year, he played like that. The Bills didn't necessarily have the best structure in place. He was not NFL ready as a high-level passer. And so he was kind of running around for his life. There are people who, who like to pile on. They pull multiple clips a game of Allen throwing these inaccurate passes and go, look how bad this guy is. Oh, this is a joke. This is insane. And we all liked to pile onto him. And the next year, he was better, but he still had those inaccuracies. But you start to see a little bit more of what the Bills saw in him. And you go, okay, there's a lot of raw tools. And, you know, he is a little bit better when it comes to accuracy. But we didn't see what was to come last year which is Josh Allen turning into one of the three best quarterbacks in football, along with Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes. He was a super duper star out of this world. He was one of the people I would go out of my way every week to watch because he was so fun and so good. And that was the polar opposite opinion that everybody had of him when he was drafted. Opinions can change. It's again, a great draw of sports. So when we look at the 2021 class, everybody has really hardline opinions on these five quarterbacks that are drafted. I think everybody thinks Trevor Lawrence is going to be good. Who knows? I, I, I assume he will be, but we'd never really know. Zach Wilson, a lot of people think he's going to be a superstar. A lot of people think he's going to be a bust. Trey Lance, the exact same thing. Justin Fields, the exact same thing. Matt Jones, the exact same thing. And we'll have these hard opinions that will come about week three of the regular season, this following season. When we see those people throw a pass or two and we go, told you Trey Lance is going to be a bust. Look at that throw. That was atrocious. Uh, or told you Trevor Lawrence is going to be a superstar. Check out that touchdown pass to DJ Chark. But we can trace this over the course of time. And we don't have to sit there and go, this is how this player's career will play out. This is an absolute fact. We have the opportunity and indeed like the blessing that sports provides where we can follow this and be able to shape our opinions and allow ourselves to change our way of thinking as time progresses because we have more information and because sports fans in general, they're willing to engage with the idea of, okay, just because I believe this in present day doesn't mean I will always believe this. The last thing I want to talk about when it comes to the NFL draft, the easiest way to create hope. I'm going to read you another Bill Barnwell quote. More than anything, though, rookie quarterbacks represent the most valuable of entities in 2021. Hope. This is still a league where having a true superstar quarterback is almost always a prerequisite to winning the Super Bowl. If you don't have one of those guys, you're trying to get lucky or you're wasting your time. The easiest way to create meaningful, earnest hope within your organization, from ownership down to the most casual fan, is to draft a quarterback in the first round, end quote. This is 100% true in present day, though it wasn't necessarily always true in the past. Quarterback has always been valuable, but organizations didn't engage with the idea like they do in present day that it's the be-all end-all. That you can snap your fingers and get a high drafted quarterback, and that's the moment your franchise turns from good to bad. That's the moment you'll look back at and go, it's what the Colts identified when they had Peyton Manning. It's what the Packers had when they identified Brett Favre. Uh, 
all these examples over the course of time, Broncos and John Elway. In present day, teams believe that to the nine millionth degree. And honestly, there might be an argument that it's swung a little too far, that teams are so willing to mortgage draft capital and future assets for a quarterback, which again is really, really, really hard to predict predict who is going to be good and who is going to be bad. There's an argument to be made that maybe that's swung a little too far. Uh, maybe the Chicago Bears, who traded away a King's Ransom to trade up and bypass Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and pick Mitchell Trubisky with the number two picker overall. And again, last night, a couple years after that, traded up to draft Justin Fields at number 11. Maybe that's an example of you can't engage with this idea that the quarterback is the be-all end-all at the cost of not building up a solid franchise and just always relying upon the quarterback to absolve you of your sins. So we have five teams. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Jets, San Francisco 49ers, Chicago Bears, the New England Patriots. Um, and I look at those teams after last night and I go, is this all just a pipe dream? It's inevitable that some of these franchises will look back at yesterday and go, this is when our franchise changed for the better. And it's inevitable that some of these franchises will look back and go, it's inevitable that this is when our franchise changed for the worst. While quarterback is the easiest way to create hope, uh, it, it doesn't mean that comes at the cost of not building up a team and a coaching staff and everything else that goes into a franchise. It doesn't mean that that you don't go about doing those things. But on the bright side, because opinions can shift, because conventional wisdom is always changing, with these five teams, uh, we will be able to see over the course of the next few years um, the great inevitable truth of life that time will tell and we will have a very solid definitive answer for all these teams in the coming years.